Welcome, Christian Israel. Pastor Eli James here, along with Dan from Georgia. And this is part two of our series. That's only a two-part series uh, of the Song of Solomon. And uh, it's, uh, it's, it's poetry, folks. <laughs> it's poetry. So uh, it, you can get many different meanings from it. Uh, you can take literal meanings. You can take figurative. You can take way out meanings, which just about everybody does. So anyway... So let's get to it, uh, Dan. Uh, let's finish this uh, Song of Solomon off, and then we'll do a, ma- a commentary by Matthew Henry as to his, his interpretation of the meanings of this you know, small book of Scripture. Over to you. Okay. We are on chapter 5. I am come into my garden, my sister, my spouse. I have gathered my myrrh with my spice. I have eaten my honeycomb with my honey. I have drunk my wine with my milk. Eat, O oh friends, drink, yea, drink abundantly, O oh beloved. I sleep, but my heart wakes. It is the voice of my beloved that knocks, saying, Open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my undefiled. For my head is filled with dew, and my locks with the drops of the night. <clears throat> I have put off my coat. How shall I put it on? I have washed my feet. How shall I defile them? My beloved put in his hand by the hole of the door, and my bowels were moved for him. I rose up to open to my beloved, and my hands dropped with myrrh, and my fingers with sweet-smelling myrrh upon the handles of the lock. I opened to my beloved, but my beloved had had withdrawn himself and was gone. My soul failed when he spake. I sought him, but I could not find him. I called him, but he gave me no answer. The watchmen that went about the city found me. They smoked me. They wounded me. The keepers of the walls took away my veil from me. I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, if you find my beloved, Tell him that I am sick of love. <laughs> okay. Is thy beloved more than another beloved? O thou fairest among women, what is thy beloved more than another beloved that thou dost so charge us? My beloved is white and ruddy, the chiefest among 10,000. His head is as the most fine gold. Oh, no, wait a, minute, wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. What did it say? White and ruddy? <laughs> White and ruddy. What, what about that uh, verse that we said, uh, I am black? Tan. Okay. That's a better Yeah, there better. you go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I got such a dark tan that, you, that look almost looks black, right? Okay, very interesting. <laughs> yep. Okay. Uh, this is not a contradiction, folks. It, it, this is simply, it's poetry to begin with. But those who quote that uh, verse, that I am black, to take it literally, uh, obviously, that can't be done. All right, back to you. Right. His head is as the gold. His locks are bushy and black as a raven. His eyes are as the eyes of doves by the rivers of waters, washed with milk and fitly set. His cheeks are as a bed of spices, as sweet flowers. His lips like lilies, dropping sweet-smelling myrrh. His hands are as gold rings set with the burl. His belly is as bright ivory overlaid with sapphires. His legs are as pillars of marble set upon sockets of fine gold. His countenance is as Lebanon, excellent as the cedars. His mouth is most sweet, yea, he is altogether lovely. This is my beloved, and this is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. Okay, even five. okay, even the word Lebanon means white mountain, and we've, I'm sure we get words like Alban from this word Lebanon. Alban meaning also white. Okay, Albania meaning white country, right? So mm-hmm. uh, I think the overall, uh, if you want to check off the words that mean white in scripture versus black, you're probably talking about, uh, you know, 500 to one, right? I think that's the only verse that, earlier in Song of Solomon that says anything about being black. Okay. All right. Back to you. 
Well, it's not it's not black. Actually, no, it because it's talking tan, because if you read the very next verse, verse six of chapter one, it says, because the sun has looked upon me. All right, again, I mean, there you go. it's right. tan, it's, you know, it's not yeah. even talking about being black at all. Uh, anyway, chapter six. OK. Whither, whither is thy beloved gone, O thou fairest among women? Whither is thy beloved turned aside that we may seek him with thee? My beloved has gone down into his garden, to the beds of spices, to feed in the gardens and to gather lilies. I am my beloved, and my beloved is mine. He feeds among the lilies. Thou art beautiful, O my love, as Terza, comely as Jerusalem, terrible as an army with banners. Turn away thine eyes from me, for they have overcame me. Thy hair is as a flock of goats that appear from Gilead. Thy teeth are as a flock of sheep which go up from the washing, whereof every one bears twins, and there is not one barren among them. As a piece of a pomegranate are thy temples within thy locks. There are threescore queens and fourscore concubines and virgins without number. My dove, my undefiled, is but one. She is the only one of her mother. She is the choice one of her that bear her. The daughters saw her and blessed her, yea, the queens and the concubines, and they praised her. Who is she that looks forth as the morning, fair as the moon, clear as the sun, and terrible as an army with banners? I went down into the garden of nuts to see the fruits of the valley and to see whether the vine flourished and the pomegranates budded. <clears throat> or ever I was aware, my soul made me like the chariots of Amenadib. Return, return, O Shulamite, return, return, that we may look upon thee. What will you see in the Shulamite? As it were, the company of two armies. Okay, and let's see, come back up to this <clears throat> one word, Tirza. Tirza is uh, Tirza in Hebrew, so they didn't mess with the translation too badly here. Uh, it means delightsomeness. Tirza, mm -hmm. a place in Palestine, also an Israelitess. Tirza, okay. So, uh, and we know that these Tirza uh, people, Israelites, are white people, not Jews. Okay, so it doesn't say a Jewess. It says an Israelitess. Thank you very much for a correct definition for a change. All right. Okay. Chapter 7, please. Chapter 7. How beautiful are thy feet with shoes, O prince's daughter. The joints of thy thighs are like jewels, the work of the hands of a cunning workman. Thy navel is like a round goblet, which wants not liquor. Thy belly is like a heap of wheat set about with lilies. Thy two breasts are like the young rose that are twins. Thy neck is as a tower of ivory. Thine eyes like the fish pools in Heshbon, by the gate of bath -Rabin. Thy nose is as the tower of Lebanon, which looks towards Damascus. Thine head upon thee is like caramel, and the head of thine head like purple. The king is held in the galleries. How fair and how pleasant art thou, O love, for delights. This thy statue, stature is like a palm, is like to a palm tree, and thy breast to clusters of grapes. I said I will go up to the palm tree. I will take hold of the boughs thereof. Now also thy breast shall be as clusters of the vine, and the smell of thy nose like apples. And the roof of thy mouth like the best wine for my beloved, that goes down sweetly, causing the lips of those that are asleep to speak. I am my beloved's, beloved's, and his desire is towards me. Come, my beloved, let's go forth into the field. Let us lodge in the villages. Let us get up early to the vineyards. Let us see if the vine flourish, whether the tender grape appear and the pomegranates bud forth. There will I give thee my loves. 
The mandrakes give us mail, and at our gates are all manner of pleasant fruits, new and old, which I have laid up for thee, O my beloved. Okay. And that is the end of chapter 7. Chapter 7, okay. Yeah, chapter, let's go to chapter 8, and then we have a commentary by Matthew Henry to conclude uh, you know, this Song of Solomon and maybe get a couple other opinions. Obviously, this is poetry, uh, but it's also, it, literally, it's very sensuous, and but it also, for I think, foreshadows the uh, the wedding feast of the Lamb and the paradise that we'll be living in after the judgment day those of us who qualify but that's just my you know my interpretation of this poetry chapter eight chapter eight. Oh, that thou wert as my brother that sucked the breast of my mother when i should find thee without i would kiss thee yea i should not be despised i would lead thee and bring thee into my mother's house who would instruct me I would cause thee to drink of spiced wine of the juice of my pomegranate. His left hand should be under my head, and his right hand should embrace me. I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, that ye stir not up nor awake my love until he please. Who is this that comes up from the wilderness, leaning upon her beloved? I raise thee up under the apple tree. There thy mother brought thee forth. There she brought thee forth that bare thee. Set me as a seal upon thy heart, as a seal upon thy arm. For love is strong as death. Jealousy is cruel as the grave. The coals thereof are coals of fire, which has, which has a most vehement flame. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can the floods drown it. If a man would give all the substance of his house for love, it would utterly be contemned. We have a little sister. She has no breasts. What shall we do for our sister in the day when she shall be spoken for? If she be a wall, we will build upon her a palace of silver. And if she be a door, we will enclose her with boards of cedar. <clears throat> I am a wall and my breasts like towers. Then was I in his eyes as one that found favor. Solomon had a vineyard at Balhaman. He let out the vineyard unto keepers. Everyone for the fruit thereof was to bring a thousand pieces of silver. My vineyard, which is mine, is before me. Thou, O Solomon, must have a thousand, and those that keep the fruit thereof two hundred. Thou that dwellest in the gardens, the companions hearken to thy voice. Cause me to hear it. Make haste, my beloved, and be thou like to a roe or to a young heart upon the mountains of spices. <clears throat> okay, so ultimately we will regain that uh, parada paradisical, <laughs> what's the verb, I mean the adjective, paradise-like reality that we're supposed to be living in, okay? Uh, and uh, so, but uh, for... You can see that uh, a lot of uh, poetry in uh, in Aryan literature is based on the Song of Solomon and also the other uh, you know, writings of Solomon, as we found out. Uh, very, you know, like the, uh, the, the the a lot of rock songs, you know, folk songs, etc., have been written in honor of uh, the verses uh, composed by Solomon, right? So, um, so what was the? Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, you're under the apple tree, like, don't sit under the apple tree with anybody else but me, right? So <laughs> that might have been inspired by Solomon, too. All right, so let's get into the, this uh, commentary by Matthew Henry okay. and see see how he interprets this for us. Okay, <clears throat> over to you. And this is from um, blueletterbible.org. And it's okay. called, by Matthew Henry, it's called An Exposition with Practical Observations of the Song of Solomon. Chapter 1. In this chapter, after the title of the book, verse 1, we have Christ and his church. Christ and a believer expressing their esteem for each other. The bride, the church, speaks to the bridegroom, verses 2 to 4, to the daughters of Jerusalem, verses 5 to 6. 
and then to the bridegroom in verse 7. Christ, the bridegroom, speaks in answer to the complaints and requests of his spouse, verses 8 through 11. The church expresses the great value she has for Christ and the delight she takes in communion with him, verses 12 through 14. Christ commends the church's beauty, verse 15, and the church returns the, the commendation in verses 16 and 17. Where there is a fire of true love to Christ in the heart, this will be of use to blow it up into a flame. Um, okay, I so guess this one, is one. Verse, chapter 1, verse 1. It's a, right. it's, yeah, it's, it's, it uses an unusual... Uh, yeah, the, okay. yeah. Uh, what do you call it? abbreviation for song? SGS. Okay, but uh, we have. I think the title uh, of this book showing right. the nature of it. It is a song that it might be better, might be the better answer, but it that it might the better answer the intention, <laughs> which is to stir up the affections and to heat them, which poetry will be very instrumental to do. The subject is pleasing and therefore fit to be treated of in a song, in singing, which we may make melody with our hearts unto the Lord. It is evangelical, and gospel times should be times of joy, for gospel grace puts a new song into our mouths. Psalm 98, verse 1. Okay. The uh, dignity of it. Yeah. The, I'm sorry, the, you going to say something? Yeah, right. Uh, but it's also... Uh, it's also not just uh, the wedding feast of the Lamb, which uh, you know we can uh, surmise from much of the text. However, it's also uh, racially exclusive, right? There's no doubt yes. that the Song of Solomon is racially exclusive. All right, back to you. The dignity of it, it is the Song of Songs, a most excellent song, not only above any human composition or all, or above all other songs which Solomon penned, but even above any other of the scripture songs as having more of Christ in it. The penman of it, it is Solomon's. It is not the song of fools, as many of the songs of love are, but the song of the wisest men, wisest of men. Nor can any man give a better proof of his wisdom than to celebrate the love of God to mankind and to excite his own love to God and that of others with it. Solomon's songs were a thousand and five, and that's in First Kings chapter four, verse thirty-two. Those that were of other subjects are lost, but this of seraphic love remains and will to the end of time. Solomon, like his father, was addicted to poetry, and which way a so which way soever a man's genius lies, he should endeavor to honor God and edify the church with it. One of Solomon's names was Jedediah, beloved of the Lord, Second hmm. Samuel chapter 12, verse 25. And none so fit to write of the Lord's love as he that had himself so great an interest in it. None of all the apostles wrote so much of love as he that was himself the beloved disciple and lay in Christ's bosom. Solomon, as a king, had great affairs to mind and manage, <clears throat> which took up much of his thoughts and time. Yet he found heart and leisure for this and other religious exercises. Men of business ought to be devout men, and not to think that business will excuse them from that which is every man's great business, to keep up communion with God. It is not certain when Solomon penned this sacred song. Some think that he penned it after he recovered himself by the grace of God from his backslidings as a further proof of his repentance. And as if by doing good to many with this song, he would atone for the hurt he had perhaps done with loose, vain, amorous songs when he loved many strange wives. Ooh, 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 ooh. Okay. <laughs> <clears throat> now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Uh, I, don't, I don't see any evidence in Scripture that once he became a reprobate that he he tried to atone for his sins i don't see any i don't recall seeing anything in scripture about that I do you yeah. i don't either i don't remember that 
Yeah, so this is, a, to me, it's vain speculation on Matthew Henry's part. It seems to me that, uh, as we've been saying, uh, these three books uh, written by, by Solomon, for the first is about his youth when he's all full of life and vigor and, you know, what do you call it, hopefulness, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And the second book is where he begins to weary <laughs> of, of yeah. his lifestyle and... Uh, then, then in his depravity, there's no indication I can recall where he, you know, he's backsliding and not coming out of it. Put it that way. Okay, I don't see where he comes out of his backsliding. So this is speculation here by Matthew Henry. Okay, back to you. Yeah. So okay. we'll keep this in mind as we go. It says, yeah. Now he turned his wit the right way. It is more probable that he penned it in the beginning of his time. Oh, here we go. Mm. While he kept close to God and kept up his communion with him. Okay. So that makes more sense. He would have done yeah. this in the beginning. Yeah. Then. Be, yeah, before he started marrying strange women. Yeah. <laughs> right. And perhaps he put this song with his father's psalms into the hands of the chief musician for the service of the temple, not without a key to it, for the right understanding of it. Some think that it was pinned upon occasion of his marriage with Pharaoh's daughter, but that is uncertain. The Tower of Lebanon, which is mentioned in this book, chapter 7, verse 4, was not built, as is supposed, till long after the marriage. We may reasonably think that when in the height of his prosperity he loved the Lord, 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 3, he thus served him with joyfulness and gladness of heart in the abundance of all things. It may be rendered the Song of Songs, which is concerning Solomon, who, as the son and successor of David, on whom the covenant of royalty was entailed, as the founder of the temple, and as one that excelled in wisdom and wealth, was a type of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, and yet is a greater than Solomon, this is therefore a song concerning him. It is here fitly placed after Ecclesiastes. <clears throat> For when by the book we are thoroughly convinced of the vanity of the creature <laughs> and its insufficiency to satisfy us and make us make a happiness, happiness for us. You there? Hello? in communion with God through him. Okay. The voice in the wilderness that was to prepare Christ's way cried, all flesh is grass. <laughs> all flesh is grass. Well, it's all made of uh, you know, the stuff of the universe, right? D from dust to dust. So, yeah, I think uh, I think Solomon here, it, you know, it's all vague references to the kingdom uh, vague references to the second coming, etc., or even the first coming, for that matter. But, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the racial message entailed in here, you know, because my love is white, fair, and ruddy, etc., etc., uh, I don't think any Judeo-Christian commentator is going to touch that subject, right, as it needs nope. to be. Okay, right. But here, the vanity... It's really obvious that uh, Solomon ha had gone through a midlife crisis and uh, that he uh, he was either bored or confused or, you know, I, I guess that being faithful to Yahweh your whole life long is a struggle. There's no doubt that it's a struggle for everybody. And if mm -hmm. if you get if you think you're being tried too severely well, by your uh, daily, you know, daily activities, uh, then I'd say you're not praying hard enough, <laughs> right, uh, to Yahweh to help you through the this hard time, right? Because we all have hard times, and uh, you know, it's just something you can't let it get to you. But it looks to me like Solomon let it get to him, mm -hmm. and that's why he fell into depravity. I mean, really de depravity, right? Okay, all right. So uh, well, let's we, see what he has. Yes, yeah, go ahead. We, well, I was going to say we had discussed, you know, last week about um, he he basically had had a pretty easy life. Easy. I mean, right. you know, he was he was wealthy from 
day one. Yeah. Right. Uh, wealthiest man in the world. And he he had peace. There was no there were no wars or anything during right. his entire reign. It's key. Right. He had it too easy. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And that may can do do be worse for somebody yeah. who has to than for somebody who right. has to you know struggle a little bit like right like yeah. David struggle like his father yeah this world is full of struggle okay and anybody who thinks that uh, an easy life is going to get you into the kingdom is mistaken because uh, what does the verse say we are refined in the fire like silver right. Yeah, but I think what uh, the the warning here is about is about falling into materialism, which includes you know lust. Okay, if you fall into that mm-hmm. pattern of materialism, it's very difficult to get out of it because it's like an addiction. Mm-hmm. It's like cocaine, right? It's very much like an addiction, yeah. and uh, you better take care not to fall into it. All right, okay, so. Yeah, all flesh is grass. <laughs> all right. Yeah, and guess what? Grass gets mowed every so often. All right. Okay. Yeah. I was just about to say that. Yeah. Yeah, right. Okay. Verses 2 through 6. So this is quite an extensive commentary. Let's see what else he has to say. Okay. The spouse in this dramatic poem is here first introduced addressing herself to the bridegroom. And then to the daughters of Jerusalem, to the bridegroom, not giving him any name or title, but beginning abruptly. Let him kiss me like Mary Magdalene to the supposed gardener in 1 John chapter 20, verse 15. If thou have borne him hence, meaning Christ, but not naming him, the heart has been before taken up with the thoughts of him. And to this and to this relative, those thoughts were the antecedent, that good matter which the heart was indicting, Psalms 45, verse 1. Those that are full of Christ themselves are ready to think that others should be so too. Two things the spouse desires and pleases herself with the thoughts of. One, the bridegroom's friendship in verse 2, which states, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, that is, be reconciled to me, and let me know that he is so. Let me have the token of his favor. Thus the Old Testament church desired Christ manifesting himself in the flesh to be no longer under the law as a schoolmaster, under a dispensation of bondage and terror, but to receive the communications of divine grace in the gospel in which God is reconciling the world unto himself, binding up and healing what by the law was torn and smitten, as the mother kisses the child that she has chidden. Let him no longer send to me, but come to, but come himself. No longer speak by angels and prophets, but let me have the word of his own mouth. Those gracious words, Luke chapter 4, verse 22, which will be to me as the kisses of the mouth, sure tokens of reconciliation, as Esau's kissing Jacob was. All gospel duty is summed up in our kissing the sun. Psalm chapter 2, verse 12. Yeah, let me so quickly comment here. Grace. Sorry to interrupt, but, the, you know, like he says that the, under the law, which is uh, uh, under terror as a school, under dispensation of bondage and terror. Well, I don't see it that way. If you're, if you're committing sin and then uh, you... Yeah, you know the law d- demands punishment. Uh, it's not terror. I mean, it's a it's a oh. a, a, a foreboding that if I sin, I'm gonna ha- I'm gonna be punished, right? And if you ignore that reality, there, there's you know it's not bondage and it's not terror. It's simply understanding the consequences of your actions, right? I mean, <laughs> uh, yeah, there, there's no bondage and there's no terror. Uh, but, uh, you know, this is kind of like the language of the Judeo-Christian, the antinomian, who thinks that the law was a burden for people. No, it's not, because the fact is, it still pertains today. If you keep the law, you'll be prosperous. If you don't, and you, you won't have all these problems with disease and whatever. 
But if you don't, you will. Deuteronomy chapter 28 is very, very clear that if you obey his laws, you will hardly have any problems in this world. If you don't, you're going to have multiple problems, right? It's very simple. Mm -hmm. I don't regard that as being terror. No. Well, I mean, what does Christ says? If you love me, keep my commandments. Right. You know? Yeah. That's our ultimate proof of our love and dedication to him is keeping his laws. Yeah, so I mean, I see a tinge of antinomianism here, but you know, uh, yeah, 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 all right. But that, that's very common in the Judeo-Christian world. Okay, back to you. Oh, the, many of them say it, the law's been done away with, mm-hmm. which is plain yeah. silly because if sin is the yeah. transgression of the law. Then right. what that's they're saying the, is there's no such thing as sin. Right. Yeah, and that's in the New Testament, folks. Sin is transgression yeah. of the law. Right. Okay. First John chapter yeah. three, verse four. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, very good. All right. All gospel. Did, did you want to say something else? Or? Oh, well, it's a, it's just to say that uh, his prose, I think this was written in the 1700s, if I'm not mistaken. And his prose, I, I see you're having difficulty reading the prose because the uh, <laughs> yeah. the, the, ver, the verbs and adjectives and, uh, you know, what are the, par, not, not the par, paragraphs yeah, the, and, and phrases, um, are kind of uh, archaic, right? So you're having difficulty reading it. It doesn't flow like modern English does. <laughs> All right, mm-hmm. back to you. Okay. You noticed. Yeah. Dangling participles. <laughs> okay. Right. Oh, no, no, no. Hanging chads. There we go. <laughs> All right. Okay. All right. All gospel duty is summed up in our kissing the sun, Psalms chapter 2, verse 12. So all gospel grace is summed up in his kissing us. As the father of the prodigal kissed him when he returned a penitent. Okay. It is a kiss of peace. Kisses are opposed to wounds, Proverbs chapter 27, verse 6. So are the kisses of grace to the wounds of the law. Thus, all true believers earnestly desire the manifestations of Christ's love to their souls. They desire no more to make them happy than the assurance of his favor, the lifting up of the light of his countenance upon them. Psalm chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. And the knowledge of that love which surpasses knowledge. This is the one thing they desire. Psalm chapter 27, verse 4. They are ready to welcome the manifestation of Christ's love to their souls by his spirit and to return them in the humble professions of love to him and complacency in him above all. The fruit of his lips is peace. Isaiah chapter 57 verse 19. Let him give me 10,000 kisses whose very fruition makes me desire him more. And whereas all other pleasures sour and wither by using those of the spirit become more delightful. So Bishop Reynolds, she gives several reasons for this desire. Number one, because of the great esteem she has for his love. Thy love is better than wine. Wine makes glad the heart, revives the drooping spirits and exhilarates them. But gracious souls take more pleasure in loving Christ and being beloved of him in the fruits and gifts of his love and in the pledges and assurances of it than any man ever took in the most exquisite delights of sense. And it is more reviving to them than ever the richest cordial was to one ready to faint. Note, Christ's love is in itself and in the accounts of all the saints more valuable and desirable than the best entertainments this world can give. Those only may expect the kisses of Christ's mouth and the comfortable tokens of his favor who prefer his love before all the lights of the children of men, who would rather forego these delights than forfeit his favor and take more pleasure in spiritual joys than in any bodily refreshments whatsoever. Observe here the change of the person. Let him kiss me. There she speaks of him as absent or as if she were afraid to speak to him. But in the next words, she sees him near at hand and therefore directs her speech to him. Thy love, thy loves, so the word is. I so earnestly desire, because I highly esteem it. 
Okay. It's, I find it interesting that he does not quote the very uh, persuasive passage you already quoted. If you love me, keep my commandments. Okay? Yeah. True love is keeping the commandments. That includes brotherly love. Okay? Because if you do your brothers wrong, that means you don't love them. Mm -hmm. All right? It has to be done in all humility. And I can see here the tinges of what I would call, well, let's, for lack of a better expression, flaky Christianity, <laughs> or where it's just an emotional thing. You know, they, they want Jesus to love them, right? Well, if you want to love him back, then you have to keep his commandments. So it's just an emotional thing. They're, they're in love with this, um, idealistic, uh, Jesus that, uh, really is not, yeah, obviously he loves us. And as, of course, we're supposed to love him back, but, uh, it defines it as keeping the commandments. So it's not a, uh, it's not really an emotional thing. You know, it, it, the emotions accompany that love, but it's really a duty. It's really a duty that we have to obey and uh, treat, and, and brotherly love is not uh, it's not always an affectionate thing. It's uh, mainly, you know, keeping a sense of duty and doing right by people. That's what love really is, right? That's what brotherly mm -hmm. love really is, okay? All right, back to you. Well, you know, James chapter 2, verse 20 <clears throat> says that faith without works is dead. There you go. You can say that about love too. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you? How do I love thee? Let me count the ways. Right. Okay. So, what have you done for me lately? All right. So, uh, and, you know, in fact, this is most women uh, it, it, when they ha have an unhappy marriage is because their husband doesn't pay attention to her, and so it's like uh, you know. Do you really love me? You know, why, why are you not paying attention to me? Do you love some other woman? <laughs> are you giving her more attention than you are me? Right. And that's when the marriage starts to go south. Right. So yeah, you have to maintain your sense. Uh, what does love entail? It entails you doing a lot of things for your spouse, for your marriage and, you know, for, in case we're talking about your people, Israel. Okay. And uh, not falling into as as Solomon did, falling into personal lust, personal uh, personal this, personal that, and just focusing on yourself. Now, interestingly, the Judeo Christian world has been absorbed by this uh, gospel of personal salvation. Okay, it's all me, myself, and I, <laughs> right? It, it, mm -hmm. it, it ignores the commandments of brotherly love given in Matthew chapter 25, where the, the key to the kingdom is treating your fellow Israelites as, you know, as uh, objects of your love, of your uh, affection and of your you know, right actions, you know, where he talks about, mm -hmm. well, if you, if you have assisted your, your fellow Israelites in, uh, you know, in their poverty, giving them, you know, kind words when they need it, et cetera, et cetera. He said, this is the key to the kingdom. Not, not this emotional attraction to somebody you call Jesus who's not the real Jesus, right? <laughs> I mean, our people are in a, in a daze of, you know, emotionalism and not being realistic. Okay, you have to be realistic because the, the word clearly says you will have tribulation. Okay, and then uh, and you have to deal with it. And that takes strength and courage in addition to love. All right. Okay, back to you. You know, I think of it this way, too. I mean, if you have, uh, I don't have kids, but suppose you, you, you have children and they constantly disobey you all the time. And but they say, "Oh, I love you, I love you." But then they go and they disobey you, and they don't. That's right. They don't care about your rules. I mean, what would you would you reward them for that? Yeah, yeah, right. Or, or it's like uh, an alcoholic who says, "This is my last drink." <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Swamp Fox says his grandma said, "You have to put legs on those prayers." Very good. That's an excellent saying. I'm going to steal that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> All right, back to you. All right. 
Uh, we are on the second. Um, okay, paragraph or paragraph. Yeah. Yeah. Because of the diffuse fragrancy of his love and the fruits of it, verse three. Because of thy of the savor of thy good ointment, the agreeableness and acceptableness of thy graces and comforts to all that rightly understand both them and themselves. Thy name is as ointment poured forth. Thou art so, and all that whereby thou hast made thyself known. Thy very name is precious to all the saints. It is an ointment and perfume which rejoice the heart. The unfolding of Christ's name is as the opening of a box of precious ointment, which the room is filled with the odor of. The preaching of his gospel was the manifesting the savior, the savior of his knowledge in every place. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. The Spirit was the oil of gladness wherewith Christ was anointed. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 9. And all true believers had that unction. 1 John chapter 2, verse 27. So that he is precious to them, and they to him and to one another. Okay, A we can see here, has, yeah, we can see here that the the covenant message, which is exclusive to true Israelites, is being generalized to all believers, right? Okay, that uh, mm -hmm. you, know, you can see how the church, ha the churches, have uh, you know, universalized the gospel message to to embrace the entire world. But if we if we become like the world, then we are no longer Israel. Okay, we can no mm -hmm. longer be the light of the world if we lose our Israelite heritage and the commission given to us by Yahweh through Abraham to be his people and to obey his laws. Okay, if we fail at that, and this, this is why the world is in such big trouble today. They don't, they refuse to obey his laws and act accordingly. All right, they, they, mm -hmm. they don't put their legs on their love. Okay, all right. Nope. They're just sitting around doing nothing. <laughs> Right? Isn't that what our I people mean, you are doing? Can, you can profess belief in Christ all you want, but that's not going to change your race and make you an Israelite. That's right. That's right. You'll have a better life if you do that, but that's not going to make uh, you a uh, recipient of the covenants, right? As, uh, as mm -hmm. Yahshua clearly told the Canaanite woman, I cannot give you the children's bread. Sorry. If you if right. you gloss yeah if you gloss over these scriptures, you are not uh, preaching the true word. Okay, yeah. So you can see. The, it, you go ahead. I was just gonna say, yeah, he he blessed that Canaanite woman, but he didn't put her above the the, uh, the children of Israel. Amen. Right. You know, so they can and still it, be blessed. The other races yeah. can still be blessed. Yeah. But there is an order that he's established, yeah. and you yeah. know. Um, they can't, you, you can't change your race is the bottom line. You can, Amen. Yeah. Well, there's an alpha male among the wolves, right? Mm -hmm. And there's also an alpha female, right? But uh, there is a pecking order, and uh, we are supposed to be it. We're supposed to be the light unto the world, and we have failed at doing that, failed miserably. But uh, you yeah, can see. Go ahead. Yeah. Hear, yeah. I'm sorry. You, you hear people say, um, that, you know, all you have to do is is believe. A lot of, you hear a lot of these yeah. churches say that. All you have to do yeah. is believe. Well, you know, the Bible would be a very short book if all we had to do was believe. In yeah, right. Yeah. No, what do you believe in? <laughs> that 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 would <laughs> yeah. be a very long book, right? For all, for most <laughs> believers, it would be a short book. Because uh, ask a Judeo Christian, what do you actually believe in? What kind of Jesus do you believe in? Right. Uh, you know, they'll uh, say they'll say Jesus loves me. That's what they'll right, say. Yeah, he right. loves well, yeah, he does as as a child of Yahweh. But uh, your judgment is not based on the fact uh, that you uh, are born into the covenant. You you have to demonstrate allegiance to the covenant, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you know, again, this gets back to will uh, all Israelites? Uh, well, uh, what Paul says: not all Israel is Israel. Uh, number one, if they don't accept uh, the sacrifice of Yahshua Messiah at the cross, and you know, etc., if they don't accept that burden, 
that message because this is a burden. A covenant is a burden upon us to obey his laws and act accordingly. That's what it is, okay? Mm -hmm. All this love, 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 love that the Judeo churches talk about is vague and empty. And I think that's what Mm -hmm. the Song of Solomon is all about. You know, if you don't, if you don't practice your belief, if you don't practice your faith, then uh, you're just going to, what's the word? Founder, like a, like a, a bob floating around up and down on the ocean. Okay, and that's what they call love. You know, mm-hmm. it it uh, it goes back and forth. So some days you, you you're warm, some days you're cold, right? All right, yeah. So you can see the incipient universalism in his commentary here. It's it's actually reeks of it. Okay, back yeah. to you. Yeah, and and being uh being this his chosen people, it doesn't. You know, this it's a lot of people hear that and they think, oh, you think you're better. Than everyone else. Oh, no, right. us being chosen means it's actually a responsibility and a That's duty right. more than yeah. it is anything else. It's not just, oh, we're chosen, we can sit back and do whatever we want. No, it's just the exact right. opposite. You know. Yeah, and uh, I have this problem with uh, certain of my relatives who call themselves Christians because I email them and you know give them all the bad news and try to awaken them to the Jews. And the typical kind of response that I get is that, well, I shouldn't have to worry about that because, you know, I love Jesus and Jesus loves me. But uh, what about, (laughs) yeah, yeah, but that is assuming that you're already saved. Okay? Mm -hmm. That's an assumption. And if it's based merely on the fact that you love Jesus and you think that Jesus loves you and you don't keep the commandments, well, the day... and Yahshua talks about people like that. He says, well, you, you want to get into the kingdom but I, or the wedding feast of the Lamb, and he slams the door in their faces because they're not teaching or keeping the entire gospel. They're, you know, what they call love is not really the, the love of the Bible, okay? It's not the love mm-hmm. of the Bible. All right, please continue. Now, you can see how flaky modern Judeo-Christianity really is. It is. It it really yeah. is. I'm I'm so glad I came across this message years ago yeah. because Christianity never made any sense to me for, for <laughs> right. a long time. Yeah. You know, yeah. Just because of all that, you know. Yeah. Yeah. It's childish. In reality, it's childish. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. We have about ten minutes left. Actually, yeah. While you let me find those verses where uh, Yahshua talks about you know what what true uh, you know what true love is. Okay. Back to you. All right. A good name is as precious ointment, but Christ's name is more fragrant than any other. Wisdom, like oil, makes the face to shine, but the Redeemer outshines in beauty all others. The name of Christ is not now like ointment sealed up, as it had been long. Ask not after my name, for it is secret, but like anointment, but like ointment poured forth which denotes both the freeness and fullness of the communications of his grace by the gospel. Because of the general affection that all holy souls have to him, therefore do the virgins love thee. It is Christ's love shed abroad in our hearts that draws them out in love to him. All that are pure from the corruptions of sin that preserve the chastity of their own spirits and are true to the vows by which they have devoted themselves to God, that not only suffer not their affections to be violated, but cannot bear so much as to be solicited by the world and the flesh. These are the virgins that love Jesus Christ and follow him whithersoever he goes. Revelation chapter 14, verse 4. And because Christ is the darling of all the pure in heart, let him be ours. And let our desires be towards him and towards the kisses of his mouth. Now, this is interesting. Let them who are pure in heart. And the fact of the matter is that most of these, what we've been calling flaky Judaic Christians, are pure in heart. They don't have, they don't commit sins deliberately. You know, they'll get caught up in, you know, life's problems and they'll maybe cheat somebody because they're running out of money and things like that. But they're basically pure in heart. They they don't go around maliciously uh, doing wrong like the Jews do, mm-hmm. right? 
However, uh, they don't know who the Jews are, and the, the Jews have been uh, pushing them uh, up against the wall, for example, with funny money, right? Uh, for, for example, since 1971, the Federal Reserve note has lost 87% of its value, okay? We're being cheated uh, by mm-hmm. the minute, and no, no Judeo-Christian has any idea of what's going on, okay? Don't they have a responsibility to know what evil is and how to combat it? Because uh, I remember when uh, I read a book a long time ago that was called The, uh, the Optimist's Good Morning. And it was a Christian, uh, it's Christian poetry, actually, a very good book. And uh, it showed that the optimism of Christians before the 20th century, <laughs> but that optimism was destroyed by world war and revolution and all that kind of stuff, right? Is it not our responsibility to ask, why is all this happening? Mm-hmm. Okay, don't we have a responsibility to do that? Uh, see, okay, well, they're, they're well-intentioned, but they're, they're lacking the devotion to the law. And this is what happened to Eve. Yahweh told her, don't touch that tree. She did it anyway because of what? A soft heart, a soft attitude? No, you can't have that. All right, so here, here is Matthew chapter 25. And this is true love, folks. This is true love, okay? Matthew chapter 25, verse 31 when the Son of Man, and the uh, Song of Solomon is uh, uh, certainly representative of the second coming and the wedding feast of the Lamb. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. And before him shall be gathered all the nations, and he shall separate them one from another. Hold on, i got to scroll down. Uh, And as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. Okay, so there's going to be a division here. And I don't care how well-intentioned you are, if you're coming from the wrong spirit and the wrong assumptions about how the world works, if you think that the Federal Reserve System is fair and honest, then you're deluded. Uh, Matthew 25, 33, And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. And I maintain this is talking about Israelites. You can be either a Mm -hmm. sheep or a goat as an Israelite. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungered, and ye gave me meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. Naked, and ye clothed me. I was sick, and ye visited me. I was in prison, and ye came unto me. Okay. Then shall all the righteous answer him, saying, Righteous, very important word there, shall the righteous answer him, saying, yeah, Lord, when I saw we thee and hungered and fed thee and, and thirsty and gave thee drink. And then you know, just to cut to the chase here. And then he said, and the king shall answer and say unto them, verily, I say unto you, inasmuch as ye. Oh, sorry, folks. I hate this program. It's so it's so touchy. It jumped to John. I was in the middle of reading Matthew chapter 25. And uh, there's like a a millionth of an inch between (laughs) one chapter and another when you scroll down. So I have to reset here. Go back to Matthew 25. All right. I'm almost there. And and said, yeah, but he answered saying, uh, when did you feed me and clothe me? And his basic response is that when you have done this unto your fellow Israelite brethren, then you have done it unto me. And if you haven't done this to your fellow, these good, these righteous works unto your fellow Israelite brethren, then you haven't done it to me either. So how do we get judged? By our righteousness towards one another and our kindness and love. True love is keeping the commandments, right? Mm -hmm. And the Judeo-Christian world I don't think I've ever heard a Judeo pastor quote these passages. 
because they prove that brotherly love is the key to the kingdom. All right? Mm-hmm. Okay? And this is after this is after the parable of the wise and foolish virgins, okay? Well, who are the virgins? Well, those are the Israelites who really, the wise ones have kept the law, and the foolish ones haven't. Okay? They're the ones who think that the love, love, love is the, the solution to all our problems. No, it's not. You have to have the right kind of love. And most Judeo-Christians have the wrong kind of love. And they're, they're going to be extremely disappointed when Yahshua rejects them at the judgment day because they ha- don't have the right kind of love. All right, back to you. Your comment was just a couple of minutes left. Yeah, I was also going to say you, you brought up a good point about we're supposed to know what's going on in the world because, uh, yes. you know, Matthew chapter 10, verse 16 tells us to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Amen. So what that first means is we're supposed to know what know our enemy. That's but right. Most Christians they side with our enemy. That's right. You know, yeah. they are siding with the synagogue of Satan. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. That's much of the problem right there is they just, they're very naive. They, you know, they, well, they're deceived by their pastor more than anything. Yeah. And they don't sure. bother to check out what the pastor's saying. Yes. They and take those pastors are agents of the Jews. <laughs> whether they like it or not. Okay. And they're 501c3s as well, and they don't want to lose that tax-exempt status. So they're going to do whatever they can to keep that. Yes, yes. So, again, it's materialism, which it's obvious to me that Solomon fell into in the latter part of his life. So you can see that Solomon's life is a parable about the so-called church or about Christian Israel falling into the materialism and delusion in these last days. Right? Yeah. Faith without works is dead. And what yeah. kind of good works are you doing to to your fellow Israelite brethren? Okay. Mm-hmm. That's tough, folks. That's tough love, right? Tough love. And they, they believe in this emotionalism, which is not going to work at the judgment day. It's just not going to work. So anyway, thanks for uh, narrating, uh, folks. There's a major lesson here. The entire life of Solomon is a parallel, um, parable about the dangers of falling into soft-headed materialism right? and a lack mm-hmm. of obedience to his laws. Okay, That's what happened to Eve. She disobeyed. Whether she did it deliberately doesn't matter. If you, if you get tricked into it, the co- same consequences will yeah. occur. Okay? Yeah. So you have to be alert and have the law in your heart in order to survive this, this judgment. Okay. All right. Thank you, brother. Uh, a great, great lesson today. Take care, everybody. Yes. Thank you very much, Lily and, and Swamp Fox. Take care, everybody. See you next time. Yahweh bless everybody. Bye bye. Thanks. See you next time. Okay. Week. Thank you. Thank you. Bye bye.